So the passage we're reading today is from Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And if you have one of the Blue Church Bibles, it's on page 671. Starting from verse 1 on 671. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to dance. And a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search, and a time to give up, a time to keep, and a time to throw away, a time to tear, and a time to mend, a time to be silent, and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and do good while they live. Each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does so. God does it so that people will fear him. Whatever it has already been and whatever has been passed before and God will call the past to account. And I saw something else under the sun. In the place of judgment, wickedness was there. In the place of justice, wickedness was there. I said to myself, God will bring into judgment both the righteous and the wicked. There will be a time for every activity, a time, for, a time to judge every deed. I also said to myself, as for humans, God tests them so that may, they may see that they are like animals. Surely the fate of human beings is like that of the animal. The same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so dies the other. All have the same breath. Humans have no advantage over animals. Everything is meaningless. All go to the same place. All come from dust, and to dust all return. Who knows if the human spirit rises up, upward, if the spirit of the animal goes down into the earth. So I saw that there is nothing better for a person than to enjoy their work, because that is their lot. For who can bring to them what will happen? For who can bring to see what will happen after? Thank you so much, Lara, for reading. Um, we're going to look at that passage together for the next few minutes. I am going to pray for us as we do that. So let's pray. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that your word speaks wisdom to the reality of life that we actually experience. And we pray today you would open our eyes to see great things in your word. We pray that you would give us obedient and wise and listening hearts, we pray. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, well, I want you to think for a moment, uh, follow me through this life of a person. Now, an imaginary person, it's not based at, you know, coincidences with any real characters or, you know, uh, by mistake. Uh, they're not a real person. They're average British middle-class person. They do well at school and they go to a good university to study something that leads to a good career, law or medicine or engineering. They decide during their degree they don't like that subject much, but they still use their degree to get a good job they prefer that makes good money. At some point they buy a house. The best house they can afford is far away. But they buy it anyway because it has good light. And they end up in a little season of loneliness and isolation because they're far away from people they know. In their 20s they have a series of relationships. They even live with a partner for a while. But none feels satisfactory and so they have a few painful breakups. In their 30s, they settle down and have children, which has been a lifelong dream. Their relationship with the person they have children with is not always straightforward. That person makes them change their job to make their life happier. Together, they buy a better and bigger house. In the end, in their 40s, they both feel dissatisfied. The relationship isn't meeting their needs, so they leave that relationship and part-time parent their children. They date a bit. Into their 50s, they remarry. They make enough money in their successful career to retire early and go on lots of cruises with their new partner. In their 70s, their partner dies. They're a bit isolated because their relationship with their kids has never really recovered. In their 80s, they go into a nursing home, but they've made money so they can afford good care. And in their late 80s, they die. It's the average, middle-class, modern British person's life. That person has aimed for all the things we've been told it's good to aim for. A good career to fulfil your potential and feel fulfilment. Relationships where you feel valued. Children, a good retirement. They have made decisions again and again for their own gain, as they have understood it. Let me make two comments about that life. Here's the first. Do we want to get to the end of life and be able to say, my epitaph, the thing you can say about that life is, well, at every point I made the decision that was best for me. Is that the best life? Undoubtedly, it's a normal life in the 21st century UK. Not in many other places in the world, but in the UK it is. That's what we're taught to decide. Is that a good life? At the end of your life, is that the life you want to say you've lived? I've made decisions that centred myself all the way through. Here's another comment. That person has put their own gain at the centre of every major decision. I'm not making any moral comment on that, but what I am saying is this. They have not avoided times of sadness. They have not avoided times of uprooting things that they planted themselves. They've not avoided times of weeping and conflict. Even though they've chosen what they thought would bring gain at every point, their life has still been a tapestry of experiences, good and bad. No matter how much they tried to engineer everything for their own gain, there was time for laughing 
and weeping. There is no way to arrange your life that it will only be full of positive, gainful experiences. Now, given that's the way that we're encouraged to live, all the way from when we're very little, at least in the UK, you can speak for your own culture, to centre ourselves and our needs and our wants, and seeing as we probably think that doesn't make a life that's being good, and seeing as you can't avoid seasons of sorrow, no matter how much you try and manipulate everything for your own gain, how should we live? Now, I do want to be clear that that's the question Ecclesiastes 3 is talking about, but I'm not going to specifically answer that question for you today. I can't make decisions for you. In fact, the God we meet in Jesus doesn't want to do that either. In this bit of the Bible we have called wisdom literature, God is not interested in saying, if you just do this, I'll be happy. God is interested in walking with you through life and you, me, learning to live in relationship with him. So if you've come to church hoping that you'll be like five things to do tomorrow and then great, I can get on with those, it's not going to be like that. The nature of what we're talking about today is it will require your own thought and prayer. It will look different in the lives of every person here. You might even find it a bit confusing, disorientating, thought-provoking. And we're going to have a time today for questions and comments after the talk if you want to do that. Here's the first thing that we see. You can't make life about your gain. This piece of poetry is probably the most famous part of Ecclesiastes, this book of the Bible, Ecclesiastes 3, 1 to 8. You might have heard it read at a funeral. I've talked before in church about my upbringing where we were only allowed to listen to Christian music on a Sunday. Like all laws laid down, we do our best to stretch them as far as we can to break them. And there is a band from the 60s called The Birds. They sang a song, turn, 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 which was Ecclesiastes 3, 1 to 9. As it was the cassette era, we used to, you know, forward wine to find that one to listen to on Sundays. And my dad would come in and say, are you listening to pop music? And we were like, yes, dad, but it's from Ecclesiastes. <laughs> but then, seeing as you couldn't just flick to find the one you wanted, you'd accidentally rewind too far and still be able to listen to half of Build Me Up Buttercup beforehand. On the greatest hits of the 60s tape. Anyway, Ecclesiastes 3, you hear it read at funerals of people. I did a funeral not that long ago of a neighbour of ours who wasn't a Christian, had never been to church. This is what the family wanted read at the funeral. And certainly verses 1 to 8 say something vaguely comforting that even a total atheist could agree with. You can read this at an atheist funeral. It's just saying gently, beautifully, that this life we are remembering had good and bad times, moments of joy and sadness, of making things and destroying things, a birth and now a death. That's the human condition. No matter the sadness or regret of the day of the funeral, it's just true of all human lives. You have times like this. And in a funeral, you're just accepting what's true of all humans. You're born and you die. That's verses 1 to 8. He is certainly saying all of that, but verse 9 goes with verses 1 to 8. He reflects about that aspect of every life, 
And then he says, this should come up on the screen, then he says in verse 9, what do workers gain from their toil? See what he's saying? Verse 9 goes with it. He's saying the nature of life is that it has seasons of life and death, times you plant, build, gather, embrace. But no matter how much you aim to structure life for gain to you, and however you define gain, everybody does it differently, financial gain, or being happy, or leaving a legacy, or doing something that really matters, however you would express what you would come to be gain, you don't get to choose a gainful life. There will be laughing and mourning. There will be building up and tearing down. There's a time for everything under the sun. Embracing and stopping embracing. Good relationships and hard ones. No matter how much you try to structure life around getting the things that you want, there will be seasons of life, good and bad, that come to you. When we get to the end... The thing that we'll be able to say is just verses 1 to 8. Yep, that life had many different seasons. We won't be able to say, here is what it gained. Let me give a couple of reflections on that. Here's the first. There's something about seasons of life going on here. Life is not just a moment of happiness and then a moment of sadness. It's not just like, I'm happy today, but for three minutes and 20 seconds tomorrow I'll be sad. And then I'll move on to being happy again. It's not how life comes at us. We have seasons. He keeps saying, he says it's seasons of life, times. Times when we're really working towards something. Times where things are precious that are falling apart. And something that he's saying here, the writer, I think, is listening to someone and working out their season of life is important in responding well to them. If someone is in a season where things are going really well, but they have a setback, you give a different response if someone's having a season of really difficult times, difficult happens. He's like, learn to read the seasons of life. Listen carefully. But here's the big thing I think he's saying. You can't control your life to get gain for yourself. The patterned order of life, a time for this and a time for that, it is not leading towards you being the best you. There is a time for everything under the sun and you won't be able to make decisions that mean you finish with the most of whatever you want. It's beyond you as a human When you have this read at a secular funeral, it's trying to say lives are beautiful and they all leave their mark. If you add in verse 9, what it's saying is lives are all a mix of pleasant and difficult things and they all make practically no impact on the world. We all die having gained nothing. And so the warning is, do not try and manipulate the times to get gain for yourself. You'll still end up with seasons of good and bad, but you'll also live an extremely unwise life, rejecting God and hurting others to get your own gain, which is an illusion anyway. Now, it shouldn't be a surprise that people who don't know God live this way. Someone was telling me recently about a friend of theirs who's terminally ill, 
not a Christian, very wealthy, and they actually said they were in their house looking out the window at their car, a very expensive designer car, and they said to them, look at that car, what does it mean now? So it shouldn't be a surprise to us that people who aren't Christians live this way and then feel the bite of it. I think I'm constantly surprised by how Christians still live this way. How many Christians think, I'm unhappy, I'm not gaining in the way that I want? So instead of saying, well, there are seasons like that in life, how should I live wisely in this season? They do all sorts of unwise, sinful things in life to try and manipulate the seasons for their gain. If you have an you're restless, you're having a season of tearing down, not mending. Lots of even Christians think, oh, what will solve this? Is a bigger house. For his wisdom would counsel you to have contentment. People feel unhappy or unsettled or finding things difficult, and they say, what I need is to leave my spouse and find a new relationship. For his wisdom just counsels faithfulness. We think, oh, I'm feeling a bit unhappy, restless, not, I need a better job. Yes, it will take me away from the things that really matter to me, but I'll be doing fulfilling work. I feel cooped up here. I can get a better property with a garden if I move miles away from all of my friends. Whereas wisdom says, relationships matter more than space. However you think of gain, you're probably trying to manipulate the seeds to get it. But the big picture says there is no gain. If you try and live life aimed towards it, you'll just have life with seasons like everybody does, but you'll probably do a whole lot of damage too. I see that a lot. Even in people who are Christians, people choose change that hurts and disrupts and there's no gain to be had. Then they choose another difficult, restless change. Now, this all is necessarily vague. I can't tell you what a wise decision is to make for you. I do want to say something else about it, though. It is highly radical. We are really schooled, again, in the, in the UK, your country might be different, to say, you choose the best thing for you, and other people just need to learn to accept that. Ecclesiastes says... Nearly everything that changes your life, you don't have any control over. So aim at changing everything for gain will not give you gain. It is not in your power to make decisions that you get everything that you want. And it is foolish, it is unwise, it's destructive to try. And I'm sure there are people here who've tried to walk that road and can tell that story. You can't make life about your gain. Here's the second fact. He's telling us, no, this is totally given up now, Alex, so you just help me, yeah. It's God's purpose that you feel this tension. This year for Christmas, someone bought our son a make-your-own Anfield out of card. He's a very dear friend, um, which is good because uh, you might, when I was doing it, I was like, does this person like us at all? Uh, but I trust they do. I can't believe it was harder to build than the actual Anfield. Um, anyway... There were occasionally, it was all made by slotting bits of card together, and actually when we'd done that, we felt quite a lot of satisfaction, enough. so uh, I loved the present. 
But there was the odd bit of card that I was like, this doesn't fit. I think it's designed wrong. Now, occasionally it wasn't that it was designed wrong, as I'd put it together wrong. But sometimes I was like, there is no way this can be folded to fit where the instruction set should go. It feels like a design flaw. What I've just described about the human condition feels like a design flaw, doesn't it? People constantly grasp for change and gain, but unable to make any change or gain, it feels like a design flaw. He says in verse 10, the writer, I've seen the burden God has laid on the human race. See what he's saying? Just being alive is a burden on everybody. That feels like poor design. But he also says it is a deliberate thing that God has done. He says God is the one, verse 11, who can make everything beautiful in itself. He is the one who can make good and lasting change. He has also, though, set eternity in human hearts. We sense eternity is real and we long to do something lasting, yet we can't get our heads round even what God has done from beginning to end feels like a design flaw. Do people ever say to you, doesn't time go by fast? You see your children grow up, like, isn't time passing fast? And you could reply to that saying, no, it just goes at the normal pace. I mean, there is a constant in life that doesn't change the speed at which time moves. And yet we always feel like it's going too fast. It's moving too quickly. Because eternity has been set in our hearts. Why do that? Well, in verse 14, the writer says, God does it so that people will fear him. Or he gives a reflection about people and animals in verse 18 and onwards. In how many ways we're just like animals. We all breathe the same air. We all die. We get funeral words here as well. Dust you are and to dust you will return. He says God does that, in verse 18, to test or literally purify us. Think about the bad and destructive things that people do. When they think there's gain to be had and that they can get it. People invade countries because they think, I want the gain of getting that. People lie and cheat because they want the gain of wealth. We centre ourselves and think it's okay to hurt other people because we think we matter so much. We're lazy and don't do anything because the way we feel is more important than our effect on the world. How much bad people do because they want gain for themselves. God says, listen, if you learn the basic truth in life, which is we come and go through seasons you don't control, you return to dust like animals, you have this longing to see and influence eternity... What that should really do is make you think, gosh, I need to trust God. I need to stop fighting and grappling and doing bad things for gain for myself. I need to give my life to God and entrust my impact to him. That's why God does it. It's not a design flaw. It's a feature, not a bug. It's God's job to know the end from the beginning. Oh, we need to know there is eternity. We need to long for it so we'll turn to God and respect him. We're more than an animal in that way, but we're also in ways just like the animal. We need that 
humility. In very small day-to-day moments when I'm feeling angry with my children or when I'm not reading the Bible when I could or when I'm making bad choices, what is going on? I'm living a life where my gain is what matters. That's why I need Ecclesiastes 3 to say, stand back and see, you don't get to arrange life for your gain. You long for connection to something, someone eternal, that should drive you to God, not to say, I'll do more and more to make sure I can have an eternal you know, impact. We don't get the puffing up of seeing the end from the beginning. That's his job. Third thing that we see. God is God and you are not. God is totally different from us. He says everything God does will endure forever. And while we are limited by time, God will call the past to account. I am utterly limited in life. I am unable to make gain. I'm like a cork floating in the sea of changing seasons of my life, just like an animal dust to dust. I need to know that to avoid making terrible and destructive decisions. But that's not true of God. What he does will endure forever. Unlike us, he can go back into the past and pull forward for judgment everything that is done And he promises he will use that eternal limitless nature to bring every bad deed to judgment as it should be. In verse 16, the writer notices something else. In the place of judgment, wickedness was there. That's true of life under the sun. That even the places where there should be good and right judgments made, wickedness is always messing it up. Have you been following the post office scandal? Classic example of this. Every place they went that they should have had justice, wickedness, people's searching for their own gain was infecting it. The system was rigged. And that's why scrabbling for gain under the sun is a fool's errand. In this world, against God, the system is broken and fallen, and we will always find it best in perfect justice. We need to be ready to give our lives to God. I've been reading this great book. If you want to read the book about Ecclesiastes, that will help you. Destiny by David Gibson. Um, if you read it, you might find some things that are familiar from these sermons. Um, but I just wanted to read this paragraph, because this summed it up to me about God and time. I have plenty of moments in the past that I am very glad God will one day call back and seek out. In my finite story, I am often less grasping after several different threads, and I can't weave them into one coherent story. My story has broken characters, jarring interruptions, unexpected joys, relationships caught up in unresolved tensions and difficulties. My life story has unexplained contradictions. I have plenty of unanswered questions. And in God's kindness and mercy, I have as yet unfinished chapters. But my story is not the story. The story reveals that there will be a time of judgment. And believers trust that judgment will finally prevail 
and so they can live today. It's a comfort. It's how we're able to live actually under the sun in this broken, gainless place. Not because we fight this system to grasp gain for ourselves, but we trust God. You know, we can't go back into the past. Do you ever do that? Does it keep you awake at night? Do you think about moments in the past and you think, I just wish I hadn't done that? Even thinking about the moment needs to make you feel embarrassed and flushed again. And that is our limitation. We cannot go back and pull it forward and do it again. But God can pull the past into the present. That's what he's saying. And he will. And he'll pull the past into the present someday and put every wrong right. That's a warning to you if you think, oh, well, that bad thing I did is buried in the past. But it's generally a comfort to us walking through the world, trying to live trusting God. If you are carrying a heavy weight from the past, God will one day go back, pull it forward, and put it right. Well, three things he says we should do. What that, that should come up on the screen. The first one is, a strange application, enjoy. That's what he says twice. We should uh, know there is nothing better for people to be happy and do good while they live. And at the end of the passage, there is nothing better for a person than to enjoy their work. But actually, all of this does free us to do that. It basically says to say, I won't be able to manipulate the world for my gain. I can trust God that I'm where I need to be doing what he needs me to do right now. And I can enjoy it. I can accept there'll be hard seasons as part of that and keep going. I can say, I can't change everything, but I can enjoy what I'm able to do here. Now, your work may not be paid. Perhaps you're a parent. Perhaps you're not able to work for money. But choose to do something, he says, and don't do it to get for your own gain. Don't even do it to change the world. Do it because it is good to work. Tomorrow, I will be so limited in what I can do. But if I know God will eventually judge everything to be right, I can enjoy what he's given me to do tomorrow. Second thing he says, do good. It comes up in verse uh, 12. Be happy and do good. I was once watching Richard and Judy. I was sick and off work. It's not a regular thing. Although, if, you know, you can watch everything back these days. And Richard and Judy were having a very interesting discussion about phone chargers and about how it would really help the environment if we all pulled our phone chargers out at night instead of leaving them charging. And they had a guest on who said, actually, that will make no difference at all, really. Two phone chargers being pulled out is not going to stop anyone's carbon emissions being significantly better. So what do you do? I can't make the change that feels like it's needed. Well, I think what he would say is, that's true about you. You are limited. But you can still choose to stop wasting electricity because it's a good thing to do. You can still choose what's good. You can still live rightly before God as a human under him with wisdom and obedience, not because of what that achieves, which is beyond you, but because it's 
like the right way to live. I've said before, if you read about Gen Z, who are people currently in their mid-20s, um, Gen Z generally have very bad mental health. And one of the reasons for that is that the generations that have gone before you, you can thank us for this later, have basically left you with all the problems and none of the money to fix them. We hold all the resources, but we'll be dead by the time carbon levels are too high. So good luck with that, Gen Z. And I'm being, I'm being facetious, but I actually think that's a real thing. People in your generation feel like we have every problem to solve here. And people feel stressed even about just living in the world or retreat totally from life. And really what he's saying here is choose to do good. You don't have to know how it will make everything better. Maybe you've listened today and thought, this feels weird. So you say you never make any change in your life ever. You're just contented. No, I don't think so. It's worth knowing that that's a first world question. Most Christians who've ever lived haven't had any choice about what to do or where to do it. They've just had to enjoy the work God's given them to do. And they have discovered you can have joy because you're not supposed to gain. And they've weathered seasons because they know God will do right in the end. But if you're given the luxury of choice, I think what he's saying is you can be contented where you are, but you can choose to do good. You won't avoid seasons of loss and gain, of weeping and mourning. But that's not why you're choosing it. Choosing it because it's right before God. Maybe your work is grim and hard. You have bad management, you're you know, on strike and everybody's cross with each other. You can still find contentment there because there is good work to do. So don't change your job for your own gain. Seasons of sorrow will follow you everywhere. But you may think, oh, there's something good, better that I could do somewhere else. That's a good reason to make change. And if you are a Christian, there is always good to do wherever you are. God has you everywhere for a reason. You can always live out and share your faith wherever he puts there is and joy to be had wherever you are and in whatever season you're in. Third thing that he says, and last thing, know your place. Oh, it's weird. There we go. We're both doing it now. Know your place. If I just, uh, what he's basically saying at the end of the passage, there's nothing better for a person than to enjoy your work, but before that is their lap. That is their lot. It's basically saying, God's given you a place to be, and that's what you get. Now, that would be hard if it was just God sitting in heaven saying that. God saying to us, just accept your place. Stop talking back. But what we discover at the end of Ecclesiastes is the person telling us all of this is the shepherd. And we know as we read on, the shepherd is someone who chose to walk the path of living the lowliest life, who had to trust God, who gave himself for us. All this wisdom is a gift from someone who both rules everything and really knows what it's like to live under the sun.
the Lord Jesus Christ, the Good Shepherd. So listen, a life trying to control seasons for your own gain will be a bad and pointless life. Kindness, wise and obedient, knows that time is passing, so prepares for a bad season and accepts and enjoys good. A life that lives every day saying, what can be enjoyed and is good and respects God in my choices, that is a good and joy-filled life. And Ecclesiastes is saying that is the life you can have if you will let Jesus shepherd you. Let's pray. Let's just take a few moments of quiet to reflect on what we've heard. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. Heavenly Father, we long that you would help us walk that humble path that knows our place and so doesn't mess things up by seeking our gain, but rather in what you give us does good day to day and lives in wisdom before you. And I just particularly want to pray at this moment for anybody who is in a season of uprooting, of tearing down, of weeping, of mourning, of refraining from embracing, feeling really grief or sadness or loneliness. Please help them, even in that moment, to enjoy what's good and to do the work you have for them to do and to trust that you're governing in a way that's right because you're our shepherd. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.